Alrighty, hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the, what is it, 30th, the 30th of August, is that the 30th, is that right? The 30th of August already, uh, 2022, happy Tuesday, that month I'm relatively certain of. I am Derek Hunter, I am your host, thank you guys for listening, thanks for uh, all the kind notes and everything, I can't respond to all of them, except to say that they have been appreciated. My dad is doing well, too. My dad is testing negative. He tested negative on Sunday. So all good news all the way around. And, you know, he's such a positive person. But I'm glad he's negative on this one. So thanks for that. And, uh, yeah, keep, uh, you know, since you already got him in the, in my dad in the prayers, keep my dad in your prayers. You could always use some prayers. So thank you for that. We got a lot of stuff going on. I want to start off. I, I, I don't want to dink around. Just say patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or Derek Hunter dot locals dot com. That's where all the action is. Check it out. Join up. Sign up. All that fun stuff. Now on with the program. There's a lot going on in the world. We've got some unbelievable audio for you today that. Um, <clears throat> well, I, I, you know, what am I thinking I'm going to start with? I think I'm going to start with this because it's indicative of. Where we are as a society, where we are as a culture, just how screwed up our culture has become and how deep the rot that is liberalism has gotten, because it's very, very deep. It is thorough to the bone. I don't know if you know Barnard College. You probably don't, but you might have heard of it. It is up in New York. It is a very expensive, it's in Manhattan. It is a very expensive institution. 50 cent for the 2019-2020 school year. Tuition is 57 was $57,479. Tuition and fees. That's quite a bit. That's uh, slightly less than Wellesian, just about a thousand, actually about $980 less than Wellesian and about $4,000 less than Columbia University, but still more than $3,000 more than New York University. NYU. If you're going to set that huge pile of money on fire, why not do it at NYU? But hey, I would recommend against setting the uh, the money on fire in the first place. Well, at Barnard College, they have... Is it college? Yeah, it's a college. Sometimes they change their names to university, but whatever. At Barnard College, they have the BCRW. Now, you're sitting there going, what the hell is the BCRW, Derek? I'm going to tell you. It is the Barnard Center for Research on Women. They're studying women. They seem to, maybe they didn't used to know what women is, and now they're trying to figure out what a woman is. They just don't know. It's unclear. But it seems at some point they knew what a woman was, or else, you know, how would they study them they released a video i'm going to play for you in a bit now it, it it's weird because you would think something called the barnard center for research on women would be able to find a woman to star in their videos they are an institute making because women are all oppressed and everything that's what this is about it's part of the indoctrination process you're a victim you're 51% of the population you're like 55% of the college population you're 
earning more. But hey, it's uh, you're oppressed. Well, um, they found a trans woman. They found a dude, a left-wing activist, to host the video. I'm going to play you clips of coming up. But I just, I find it ironic that, like, women are losing Women of the Year to men. Women of the Year awards. Like, men, is there nothing we can't do? We're that good. We're that good, ladies and gentlemen. But the uh, about the Barnard Center for Research on Women, I just want to give you an overview of what this group is. The Barnard Center for Research on Women brings scholars and activists together through its working groups, public events, publications, and multimedia projects to advance intersectional social justice feminist analyses. <laughs> I'll read that part again because your eyes probably went cross. Uh, brings people together to advance intersectional social justice feminist analyses and to promote social transformation. The BCRW is committed to vibrant and engaged research, research, art, and activism, supporting the works of scholars and activists to create new knowledge and to challenge and refine how we understand the world around us. Since its founding in 1971, the BCRW has cultivated Cultural uh, has cultivated collaborative and accountable relationships with community organizations, activists, and cultural workers in New York City, across the U.S., and transnationally. See, I've told you, uh, progressivism will not be contained. Progressivism, like the university, if you want to know, like, you got too much money, the university starts founding groups like this on its campus. And you go, hey, wait a second, maybe you're charging too much for tuition. You want to know how we got to the point where so many people owe so much money in student loans. You go, well, they're funding things like the Barnard Center for Research on Women. From its signature annual scholar and feminist conference. Now, I've never been asked to speak at this. I would like to avail myself to this group. Hey, hey you, you can... I will speak free. I mean, you got to cover my travel, but free of charge. I will come to your group and I will speak at your uh, scholar and feminist conference. To its peer-reviewed journal, S&F Online, scholar and feminist online, the peer-reviewed journal. How do you crackpot liberal theories? They peer-review it by a couple of liberals go, that sounds crackpotty enough to be true. Done. Publish. Unique collection of feminist social movement ephemera housed at the Barnard College archives. Why do they not have their own building? Constantly expanding video archive and recently inaugurated social justice initiative. BCRW remains committed to critical feminist engagement with the academy and the world. And to demonstrate just how committed they are to feminism and the world, they hired a dude, <laughs> somebody named Aaron Lang. Now, Aaron, these people can never spell their names like a normal human being. They've got to demonstrate how weird they are. And, then, you know, if you try to be weird, if you actively make a conscious decision to be weird, you aren't weird. You're just a jerk. 
I'm just saying. And like, if you if you make sure oh, I can't be seen without seventy pounds of wigs and everything, I can't go outside because I have an image to protect. Then you have an image. You're making. You're faking it. Okay. If you don't do it while nobody's looking, you don't really do it. You only do it because people are looking. And because you want people to look. I've known met plenty of people as a former theater major and as a uh, a kid who was involved in plays in high school. The plays attract weird people. I admit it. I admit I was one of them. But then there are some people who go to the uh, nth degree. And they're like, okay, you're, you're a sophomore in high school and you're wearing 40 pounds of eye makeup, dude. You're like... You paint yourself up to look like a raccoon and you use enough hairnet to destroy the ozone layer. I think you're not Robert Smith. So maybe it's a time to just recognize that your parents' relationship with you is not everything you'd hoped it would be and this is your way of dealing with it. Right? You'd save a lot of money on eyeliner. A lot of money on eyeliner. Actually, the guy I'm thinking of, I believe, passed away <laughs> not that long ago. So... Yeah, but he was he was doing it for effect. Nice enough guy, but he was doing it for effect. Because if you ever showed up unannounced to his house, he wasn't made up like a Saturday afternoon. He wasn't sitting around watching Saturday morning cartoons, eating his cereal, decked out like he was ready for the uh, Cure video shoot. Just saying. Lots of people like that in theater. And then there are just regular lots of weird people. Anyway, they found somebody named Aaron, A-A-R-Y-N. Because, again, you can't, it's got to be gender neutral or something. Aaron, Iron, I don't know how you pronounce it. I'm sure it's pronounced Aaron, but they insist that it's pronounced some other weird way. Lang. And so I said, well, who is this Aaron Lang person? And you can find all sorts of stories on that. Aaron Lang is, a, Aaron Lang does the work. For her black trans family from The Advocate from August of 2020. And you sit there and you go, really, it's the Center for like Studying Women couldn't find a woman to do this. No, no, no. Trans women are women. Trans women are women. We have trans women are dominating a lot of fields that should be dominated by real women, like narrating videos about women from an institution that's supposed to study women. But that's neither here nor there. This is how the person is described. I love this. As a key figure in black social in the black in, no, as a key figure in black social justice movements throughout her career, Erin Lang has made it her mission to better the lives of black transgender women. <laughs> wow, that's your mission in life. Not uh, I don't know, friends, family, happiness, making the world a better place. Nope, I got to do this. All right. Okay. I I don't care how you spend your life. She was a co-founder of the Ohio branch of the Trans Women of Color Collective. When I tell you that the left subdivides them, they divide. They divide to conquer. They need you to identify more closely with somebody who shares some irrelevant characteristics with you than your own neighbor. When I was a kid, 
My neighborhood was my community. The community was the neighborhood. It was all the people that we all banded together to make sure that a crack house didn't pop up, to make sure that nobody put the, the El Camino on the bricks on the front lawn, to make sure that we took care of the thing, that everybody took care of it. Look, if you're on tough times, somebody passes away, that nonstop conga line of people bringing food over to the house to make sure that family's eating so they don't have to worry about that sort of thing. All that kind of stuff. And there was also the, hey, I saw your kids trying to smoke a cigarette or light firecrackers or something over by the dumpster behind the fizzing pour. Uh, just to let you know. That was, it didn't matter how far away or five blocks away, somebody caught you and your parents found out. That was all part of the community. It kept us, as far as I know, everybody I grew up riding bikes with, and that was my childhood, riding bikes. Everybody I grew up riding bikes with still has all 10 fingers and 10 toes and two arms and, and two legs. Now, that may have changed. Who knows? It's been a while since I've seen these people. But if, it, if they lost an appendage, it's due to disease, diabetes, something, more so than blowing it off with a couple of firecrackers that we found. Why? Because the community came together and protected us from ourselves. There were times when we probably should have ended up in traction or in the hospital where actually one kid, Joey, did end up in the hospital, but he broke his arm. We'd build a bike track with these ramps. And sometimes as a kid left to their own devices, you go a little bit too big, a little bit too big with the air device, the ramp and the landing area is not really well thought out. You're dealing with 10 and 12 year olds, not structural engineers. So, uh, yeah, they would come out and go, no, no, you got to take this down some. You can't do this. You can't do that. That was the community. It wasn't our parents that were doing it, although sometimes it was. The parents were alerted to it. That was community. Now community is, you're gay. Don't worry about your neighbors. They probably don't like you because you're gay. Whatever it is, they may have voted for Donald Trump. So they're your enemy. Don't talk to them. But 3,000 miles away in Portland, there's another gay person. You should identify, that's the gay community. I don't know what kind of community it is when it's based on never having met somebody. You don't know whether or not they're a jerk. You don't know whether or not they're just bad people. But you have the, the same sex life or similar sex life to them. You're supposed to identify with them. And then you go even further where you have the Trans Women of Color Collective. And it says she played a central role in black the Black Lives Matter network since its inception. This is all to just set the table. All to set the table. Because the video is unbelievable. Yet believable. But you sit there and you go, oh, well, this person's bona fides are right there. Along with BLM, Lang was an organizer of the Black Trans of Black Trans Liberation Tuesday. <laughs> there's the trans women of color collective and then you got to have the black trans liberation tuesday which they describe as the first national day of action centered solely on black trans women i, I don't know how you keep i assume every liberal has to have like a, a couple of pieces of paper in their pocket at any given moment where they have to keep track of every possible group and every permutation of human being and they go all right well who's We've got, uh, what about the little people, the short, the people with uh, dwarfism? They could be black trans women too, so they need their own group. We've got to get funding for all. It, it seems exhausting 
till you realize that all of this is really mostly an elaborate money laundering scam. It also helps people avoid getting real jobs. Not all people are getting filthy rich off of this thing, but some people are. And you sit there and you go, well, it beats a nine to five. I've got to get up. I've got to complain about something. And it clearly worked for, uh, what's his face? What's her face? Aaron Lang. She ended up somehow partnering with Barnard College. Now, one's in Manhattan. You can't tell me that there isn't, uh, apparently, Aaron lives in, uh, at least is in New York, because that's where the video was filmed. But you would think that New York would have, if you needed, if you absolutely had to have, for a woman's video, a black trans dude or trans woman or whatever. I don't know. It, it hasn't been all that long since I've been in New York. And every time I've been to New York, I haven't exactly gone hunting for black trans women. But I also feel as though they're not hard to find. They're not really all that hard to find. And like New York is lousy with them. Like you walk down the street, you, you smell urine, you smell marijuana. And I imagine you see like a lot of black trans women, a lot of trans women in general, a lot of homeless people. Like if you if you wanted to make a homeless video in New York, some university talk about the plight of the homeless, you wouldn't have to go to Los Angeles to recruit somebody to come out. I think you got them there. And I know, I know, I'm evil, I'm awful, I'm mocking people. I am mocking people because the absurdity deserves to be mocked. Mocking is the sincerest form of contempt, and I mean that in the nicest possible way, which is not at all. So we've got this organization from Barnard. They released a video. Now, this video made its way to Colorado. How the hell does it make its way to Colorado? Because liberalism spreads like a cold on a plane. It will not be contained. CBS Colorado had a story on it. Don't call police video shown to South High School students. And you sit there and you go, how the hell does this stuff get to a high school in in a high school at all, let alone a high school two thousand miles away. Denver Public Schools in hot water with law enforcement after a video shown during an assembly at South High School advised students to avoid police when dealing with racially motivated attacks. Yeah, this is your Democrat progressive thing. The video entitled "Don't Be a Bystander." Colon, six tips for responding to racist attacks was published five days ago by the Barnard Center for Research on Women. Quote, I thought at some points it was pretty informative, but at other points I thought it was kind of like awkward to talk about, like it felt a little uncomfortable, said Chavelle Early, a junior at South High. Some of the tips advise students to check in with on the victims of the attack to avoid engaging the perpetrator and try to de-escalate at all costs. Now, and they go into describing what the video says, but I'd much rather just have the video speak for itself. It's a three-minute long video. This clip is not three minutes long. I've cut it up into six clips. What you will hear through the course of this is the video in its entirety broken up at points where... I, each one is uh, the individual points and the six points, but it's also to illustrate the absurdity, the insanity of the left and the absolute cultural, societal rot that these people perpetuate. So without any further ado, let's listen to the open. Now, remember, this is a man, this is a trans woman doing this for women and... Uh, 
Do you want to know why liberals are such miserable people and why there's such high crime across the country and why it is that somebody who's running back for the Redskins, I know they're called the commanders, I don't care, was shot in an alleged attempted carjacking and why society has just gone straight to hell. Uh, It's stuff like this. All in all, they're just another brick in the wall. The United States has a long history of violence against people of color, disabled people, Muslims, immigrants, and LGBTQ people. Man, the United States sucks, doesn't it? The United States, you can tell it's a dude, right? You can just from the voice. Uh, the United States has a long history of violence against the, the disabled people. Where? Um, I don't remember the, most of these acts of violence, but I sure as hell don't remember the acts of violence against disabled people. You can say, yeah, this country, I wouldn't say the United States. I would say that various individuals in the country, certainly the slave trade was bad, but uh, that was not within the lifetime of anybody alive now, not even close to it. But hey, but the disabled people, was there, did I miss a memo? Was there, because my mom was disabled and I don't remember her tell now maybe she didn't tell me everything but i don't remember government agents or even sanctioned government agents running up and beating her so i don't know i have to talk to my dad about that but the, this is what they view as the united states this is how they view the united states of america they hate it they hate it there's nothing in this intro right there at the beginning of it uh subsidized by tax dollars through student loans and sitting there going, oh, you know what? This country sucks. It's just a long history. All it does, if you're off-white, if you spend too much time at the beach, you could get a tan and therefore be subjected to this. This is how racist and horrible this country is. Can't really cite examples of that, but why bother? You don't, Being a liberal means you never have to cite examples of anything. You just declare something to be. And the left-wing establishment all agree, all right, yes, that must be, because nobody would lie about this. Nobody would lie about this. Believe all women, except for, you know, conservative women, or any, you know, Tara Reid, who accused Joe Biden of sexual assault. Believe all women. Believe all allegations, just not, you know, against us. Anyway, they're just getting started over there. In our current political moment, white supremacists and white nationalists have been emboldened. And as a result, public attacks are on the rise. Many people aren't sure what to do if they witness a racist or transphobic attack. Here are some ideas. It might be tempting to look away out of fear or because you aren't sure of what to do. But not getting involved communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you can, talk with the victim. This is about supporting them. Look them in the eye, check in with them. Try not to escalate or provoke the perpetrator. Simply sitting or standing next to someone is better than nothing at all. It's difficult to witness any kind of violence, so try to breathe and stay present. They're telling this to high school kids. They're showing this to high school kids. Now, I love that it's, uh, you know, just uh, get up there, sit next to them. Get They're talking about an assault, a theoretical assault, but an assault that is in progress. In pro- it's happening right then and there. 
And what are they saying? Go up and sit next to them. Go up and uh, maybe uh, see if they're okay. Hey, I couldn't help but notice that somebody was pummeling you. I could, what in their world? I couldn't help but notice the way that this uh, Trump supporter with the MAGA hat on was kicking you upside the head. Are you okay? Yes, they're uh, spewing trans and and uh, Islamophobic and heterophobic and whatever. They're spewing these horror. Are you all right? Look at me in the eye. Let me sit next to you. Please don't bleed on me. This jacket is new. But I, I want you to know that I care very deeply. How about you, I don't know, pummel the, the person doing it, right? Just, if there's somebody physically assaulting another human being, you, you pummel the person doing it. But no, 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 no. You just got to sit down and put yourself in danger. You'd be much better off just getting the hell away from them. Of course, this is a, a myth they've created of these prevalence of these assaults. You ever notice that you hear about these assaults, these attacks in places that are overwhelmingly liberal? I read about this in my book a couple of years ago, where they uh, it was New York and California were where, like, right after the election, the New York Times started something called, like, the Hate Project or something like that because they knew that Donald Trump's election would bring about more and more hate assaults and blah, 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 blah. And so they they ran, every single day, they ran news stories of hate crimes, of somebody saying something mean, spray-painting something, somebody allegedly assaulting somebody, somebody confronting somebody because they're different, blah, blah, blah. It was always in New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Portland. It's very liberal bastions. When you looked at the database by geographic location, these were places that didn't come close to electing a Republican, I don't know, ever. And you're going, what? How is it that these people are, you know, under assault by these right-wingers in these places where there are no right-wingers? It's really weird. You almost thought, maybe these people are making it up. Well, it turned out that they were making it up, that an inordinate number of the stories that the New York Times and it was like the Southern Poverty Law Center, it was a whole bunch of media outlets and left-wing organizations. They all got together. It's all in my book. I don't remember exactly the details. But they, um, they'd all got together to pool all their resources to say, look at these hate crime increases since Donald Trump. And about six months into the Trump administration, they stopped. They stopped doing it. Now, why would they do that? Did they suddenly stop caring about hate crimes? No, no, they didn't. They had so many of those stories turn out to be false that it was making the entire concept of the project look bad. So rather than report honestly and say, wow, we thought that things were horrible in this country, but they're not. Instead, they stopped reporting the easiest way for people to verify that this country is in this horrible, racist, sexist, homophobic cesspool. And they just decided to stick with the narrative that hate crimes are. We use raw numbers rather than specific instances. This is how they use the FBI numbers for hate crimes. They go, hate crimes are way up. Well, there were more institutions. The number of institutions reporting hate crimes to the FBI doubled during the Trump administration. So, of course, there would have been more of them. They also had a little thing that they did that they still do <coughs> that is problematic. 
But the left dines out on it. They just give you raw numbers. There were this many sorts of assaults. There were this many uh, slurs yelled at gay people walking down the street and this many attacks against black people. And they give you none of the details. Now, why do the details matter? For the very same reason the New York Times stopped reporting with the Southern Poverty Law Center, this hate project. Because you started a story about, oh my goodness, there was a girl assaulted on the subway, a Muslim girl, she's wearing a hijab, and she was called all sorts of names by two Trump supporters on the subway. That was the story, that was the headline, it was reported far and wide. And then it turns out that this girl was a high school student who was late. She'd missed her curfew. Why? Because she was off with her boyfriend that she wasn't allowed to have. And so she lost track of time. And in an attempt to save herself from getting in trouble with her parents, she made up two Trump supporters on the subway in New York harassing her because of her hijab. Because you sit there and you read the original story and you go, wow, um, nobody in the subway car did anything about this. Nobody said any. There's no other witness. There's nothing. That seems a bit odd in New York, pretty densely populated city. But nope, too many of those stories were like that. So if you give a link to the individual story with the details of the quote-unquote assault, then you can get some names get some locations, get get some information where you can do further research on your own, and that's what I did in my book, to find out what the end result was. Any, you know, the initial reports, bad. That's not always how it ends up being. So if you found that girl's name, then you searched on that girl's name, you found other stories that said, oh, wait, in talking to the police, she confessed that she made it up. And you find that an awful lot. Store owners who were assaulted, who were not then assaulted. Uh, Spray painting that was done by the people who discovered it. All those sorts of things that don't stand up to basic scrutiny. And you begin to think, well, that's weird. That's why the New York Times stopped reporting on individual cases. But once you take that assault on a subway train, that poor girl on that subway train wearing her hijab, yelled at by uh, by Trump supporters. Once you put that into a, just a pile of numbers, say the clicker goes from 78 to 79 assaults, that 79 is meaningless. Individually, 78 to 79, that one number is meaningless, but it helps add to the narrative by raising the total, the sum total. It stays in there. Nobody goes, and this is the dirty little secret about these things, is they just check boxes. It's like when you're sitting there, and remember you do the uh, the counting thing, One, you put lines, one, two, three, four, and then you'd cross with the five, and then you go to the next one, one, two, three, four, and you cross with the five. Nobody goes back and verifies each individual slash. Each individual slash is taken as gospel. So each individual slash, once it's made, once that number is added to the total, it stays there. So that two weeks later, when the girl says, all right, I confess, nobody assaulted me. I was just late because my boy, they don't go back and go, oh, I guess we got to reset that to 78 from 79. No, they don't. They don't do that. Somewhere out there in crime statistics, the Jussie Smollett assault still counts. As a hetero, or as a homophobic attack and a racist attack, he paid the people who did it to do it. 
so he can get publicity, but it still counts in the stats because it's just another one of those slashes. That's how this racket works, ladies and gentlemen. That's how it works. I'm not saying that this never happens. I'm not saying this world is a wonderful place and everybody just gets together and sings Kumbaya. But I will tell you that it is. this world is nowhere near the cesspool of hate, anger, rage, racism, transphobia, sexism, whatever, that the left needs you to believe it is and needs children to believe it is. There's a reason that this is being shown in high schools. There's a reason that this is being produced by a college. It's not being run and shown at, I don't know, a middle-aged, well-adjusted human being convention, if they ever have those. It's just not. You hook them while they're young. It's the cigarette company motto. Hook them while they're young. Teach them that they're victims. Even if they're never personal victims themselves, because they're not going to be, You need to get them on edge to know that they could be victims or perps. So the next clip, let's see. Let's just let's just play the next clip in this Barnard College. Again, this was played in a high school in Colorado. That's the one that we know of. That's the one that we know of. This has been put out there and marketed. These people, these progressives, they have a marketing budget. They want to make sure that everything is seen by everybody. They don't let people slip by. They need that indoctrination. I'm looking at this. 50,000 views in this one post, and this is on Vimeo. You sit there and you go, what the hell is wrong with these people? You'll never know. You'll never. You'll, and thank God you'll never know. Just know that you got to combat them. Let's go to the next clip. Many assume others will document an incident going on. If it's safe to do so and the victim doesn't object, film or record an incident. This helps to keep track of the rise of incidents like this, and it also ensures that the victim's versions of events can be confirmed. Check in with the victim. Ask them what they need. Get their consent and offer concrete ways to support them. Get them water. Help them get composed. Help them call a friend or even get to a safer place. How about stop the assault? How about that one? Give them some water. Hey, uh, I couldn't help but notice you're being punched, but would you? are you feeling a bit parched on top of being punched? Can I give you some water as well? How about stop the assault? Where is that in this? And I realize it's passe, and in a world where you know there are lunatics out there, and um, you people fill. It's usually I've not seen any footage of a uh, white supremacist, whatever the hell that is, uh, running around assaulting black people or trans people or trans black people on public transportation or in public anywhere. I haven't seen that footage. Now, granted. I haven't spent an awful lot of time looking for that footage, but you would think that you wouldn't be able to avoid that footage, right? It'd be like finding proof of alien life, right? Here's here's a UFO landing where they come out and say, hey, we're from Mars or something. You wouldn't be able to avoid that. 
you get a lot of stuff that is people messing around with Photoshop and editing and all that. You get that, and you can't avoid that. I would think that the real deal, you you wouldn't be able to avoid. Yet somehow, I've managed to avoid it. I work in the news business. I I follow the news for a living. I would think it would be out there. But it is not. It is not. What is out there are random junkies and homeless people screaming and yelling at random people. You will find a lot of yelling and screaming from at people and what have you. But the second you discover, the left discovers the perpetrator, like all those attacks on Asians, right? Asian women being pummeled in the streets, old Asian men being pummeled in the streets. And then you go, wait a second, those aren't white supremacists. Those are, don't say it, dare not speak its name. Let's just ignore this and move on. And you sit there and you go, how the hell does this work as a society? You can't really work it as a society with that, but to sit there and get them water, get them water. Hey, I couldn't help but notice this person is sitting on you and, uh, you know, you're laying on the ground. Can I get you a pillow? Do you like a pillow? I'll get you a pillow. No, I'd prefer you kick the person sitting on me in the head and uh, prevent them from continuing to sit on me. That's just me. And then it all culminates, and this is the not the last clip, but this is the one that, the whole thing is wildly offensive, but this is the part that gets the attention in the media around Colorado once it was discovered that this was being played to high school students. Don't call the police. Armed police presence often escalates rather than reduces the risk of violence in a situation. Because police have been trained to see people of color, gender non-conforming folks, and Muslims as criminals, they often treat victims as perpetrators of violence. So if the victim hasn't asked you to call the police, do not, I repeat, do not call the police. Do not call the police. Let Look, if a victim is being pummeled and they say, oh no, this is the worst pain ever, but don't call the police. Um, yeah, no. This is where you lose me. This is where I think you lose most sane, rational people. This is where I just do the Vegas blackjack shift change dealer going, poof, I'm out. I'm out. And you want to know why so many people don't get involved? This is why. This mentality, this, the whole video, not just that last clip, the whole video, the mentality of the left, victims, 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 and oh my God, you're, you're a perp. And you're this, you're that, you're the other. This country sucks. And you don't, you just sit there and you go, I'm not getting involved. I'm not getting involved. And then you go, I'm not going to New York. You end up with New York just being filled with a whole bunch of liberals. <laughs> you wonder why things suck there. That's why things suck there. And you sit there and you go, well, you feel bad. Your natural instinct as a human being to look at people, you know, suffering, through crime, afraid to go out of their homes, people being assaulted, junkies on the street corner on the way to their kid's school. And you go, yeah, that's horrible, horrible situation until you realize these people voted for this. These people vote for the people who create this. These people empower this. And you can't, you lose me. I might care about the kids. It sucks for the kids. 
But if the parents don't care about the kids, then, you know, the parent, the kids are going to grow up hating the parents. That can't happen soon enough. But it's hard to feel bad for somebody whose whole life is a bunch of self-inflicted wounds. That's what people in liberal cities do to themselves. Now, we've already got the Barnard College saying, uh, don't call the cops, don't call the police, don't do this, don't do that. And you're sitting there and you're going, well, then what are you supposed to do? Vigil- Your choices are twofold if you're, if you're watching a hate crime or a crime, some sort of assault in progress. You've got two choices. Um, let the perpetrator get away with it or intervene yourself. They're not, they're, they're advocating for letting the perpetrator get away with it. Why? Because I think mostly they want the statistic. The perpetrator gets away with it. You, do, you can't really prove what was going on if there is, in fact, a perpetrator to, to get away with it in, in reality anyway. But you can't, you can't disprove it. You can't say, oh, this person's just a crazy homeless person if they, they got away with it, if they went away. They want that. I wouldn't think that these people would personally be trying to enable and empower people who are assaulting other people and committing hate crimes. But then again, they're probably not real anyway. So they're uh, starting to wrap it up here. The video continues. The culture of white supremacy and anti-blackness is perpetuated by our media, political systems, and social media. You can contribute to making these attitudes unacceptable by challenging white supremacy, even when you're not in a crisis. If you're white yourself, talk to your white family and friends about anti-blackness and white supremacy. Do it every day, especially when you're in an all-white space. By doing this, you confront the culture without putting anyone else in danger of an immediate backlash. (laughs) <laughs> do it every day, especially if you're in an all-white space. Well, if you're in an all-white space, aren't you committing a hate crime? Or aren't you probably part of the white patriarchy or something like that? Aren't you part of the problem? Shouldn't you always be in a diverse space? Uh, challenge, challenge. You can do this and you can do that. And you can do the challenge, the other thing. Every day. Do it every day. Make sure that everybody around you wants to never be around you. Actually, you know what? If you're inclined to do this sort of garbage, do it. Please do it. Because that'll help normal people identify somebody where they're just like, you know what? I don't want to be, you know, no. We're not having Tommy over again. Why? Because uh, we're eating a sandwich and he starts talking to me about how the Earl of Sandwich was probably some sort of white supremacist. And the first sandwiches were probably made with white bread and how it's problematic and where was the pumpernickel and like, all right, I don't want Tommy around anymore. I don't want to share salami with Tommy. I don't want to share ham with Tommy. No bologna with Tommy. Brought his own bologna, but that's beside the point. I'm not interested. These people are in desperate need of attention. Here's a little pro tip for you. Just by the way, if you're a member of the uh, alphabet community or any of these protected classes that Democrats pretend to care so deeply about, if your life sucks in any way, shape, or form, it is because of you. 99 times out of 100. Uh, there might be, you might have be able to blame bad parents. You might be able to blame some traumatic incident that happened in there. I'm, I'm allowing for that. But in general, 
if your life sucks and the degree or extent to which it does suck is completely and totally 100% up to you. And there is a political movement in this country on the left that is designed to convince you that your life sucks and that your life sucks more than it, you think it does so that you will then stop trying to make it not suck because there is nothing that is closer to kryptonite to the left than somebody who makes it on their own somebody who perseveres and makes it now not always i'll be playing that lizzo audio like who she made it with no discernible talents she didn't really create it but i mean if you create a business and make it the left will hate you if you sing crappy songs and are morbidly obese and are willing to talk about how you're oppressed, then the left will love you. You're not the victim. You're the perp. You're your own perp. That's the biggest thing I think that the left is trying to remove from anybody in the future's consciousness is that their life, their lives, everything in your life is a culmination of the decisions that you made good, bad, or indifferent. There is no hidden hand. There is no white patriarchy, white supremacist, but it doesn't exist. If it did, it wouldn't know you did. You aren't important. But what this does, this concept of this hidden hand coming to get you, it instills in people this level of importance. Like, oh my God, this whole system is constructed to keep me down. No, the whole system, there's no system constructed to keep, there's no system. It's there. To the extent that there's a system, it just exists. It's indifferent. It doesn't know you're alive. It doesn't know when you die. It doesn't care. It rolls on. Every human being that had lived up until this point and passed away has lived under that system. And every human being that lives after this will still live in that system. The, it just, the, it's reality is what it's called. And it just exists. It just exists. It's not out to get you. You aren't special. You don't need to be oppressed. Nobody's going, oh man, if we don't keep this person down or these types of people down, it's going to dramatically change everything. It's going to make everything. No, just isn't. It just exists. What you make of it is entirely up to you. And if what you make of it is that you're a victim and you can't get ahead and your life sucks, well, that's entirely because of you. And if you're convinced by people like these morons at the Barnard Center for Research on Women uh, that your life sucks or that society is out to get you, then that's on you. That's your fault. Now, it's on adults that they're showing this to high school kids and trying to convince and using the position of trust on high school kids to try and instill this mentality for political purposes on kids that's where the evil comes in here's the last clip of it now is the time for all of us who believe in justice to come together it doesn't have to look one way you can canvas you can phone bank you can write letters or you can even create art for the movement taking it to the streets is always nice but if you don't have time for that, you could always support the marginalized populations who are on the front lines of this work financially. White supremacy and anti-blackness affects all of us. And fighting against it affirms all of our humanity. Yeah, 
You're a dude oppressing women, taking jobs from women. You want to talk about oppression? I can draw a direct line from one to the other there, but sit there and go, you got to love it because that's really what it all boils down to. You can make art. You can take to the streets. But if you can't do that, you can cut a check out to cash and give it to me. Send me some money via PayPal or Venmo. Go ahead. Give me, give me, give me. That's what I want. It is selling plenary indulgences. The Catholic Church back in the day used to sell indulgences. People would sin and they say, all right, well, we'll forgive you. You can be forgiven for your, your knowing and conscious sinning if you just give us some money. We'll sell it to you. The left is doing the exact same thing. Progressivism is a religion. That's exactly what they're doing. Give us money and we'll absolve you of your white supremacy or whatever. No, no, thank you. I'm not going to check my privilege. My privilege is doing pretty good. My privilege is directly proportional to how much effort I put into something, right? Isn't that, the harder I work, the more privilege I have. It's just amazing. You just replace luck with privilege, it's weird if this society were really rigged against trans people and people of color. Well, this person making this video, Aaron Lang, you'd never heard of him. You'd never heard of him. Instead, they're published in Time and Newsweek and profiled everywhere and making, uh, I imagine, a whole bunch of money. And they have a job, presumably, uh, with Barnard College. Talk about oppression. Would that we are all so oppressed. Am I right? I'm right. Now we roll that into the MTV Video Music Awards. All oh, this horrible, horrible country, this oppressive, nasty country. My God, I don't know. If, uh, you uh, you got to assume that everybody who participated in the MTV Video Music Awards um, is trapped in this country. Sadly, you know, the old story, there's people just trapped in the oppressive web of the United States of America. That's why it's so oppressive and so webby and so sticky that millions of illegal aliens, brown people, off-white people, victims, future victims, oppression victims, are being brainwashed into coming into the country against their will, I presume legally, illegally marching across the southern border after marching for 2,000 miles. And you don't hear anything about the Democrats saying, well, these people shouldn't be coming to this country. It's a horrible country. Horrible country. Why would it would be akin to uh, victim groups marching into Nazi Germany and surrendering themselves right away to the Nazis? It's just not right. Why are they doing this? What self-loathing has brought these people to this lowly point? And then you realize that, of course, Democrats are full of uh, post-digested food, and uh, they don't mean any of it. It's all just a game. It's all just a marketing gimmick. What's sad is that it works on so many people. What's sad is it works on so many people. And the vast majority of people at the MTV Awards last night are very, very wildly wealthy people. Wildly wealthy people where they're... uh, Talent to the degree that it exists, or lack thereof, to the degree that it doesn't, has not has has brought them further than it would any other place on earth. Any other place on earth, there is no other country on the face of the earth where someone like Lizzo, 
would become wildly rich and famous. It just isn't. Where else would it be? Now, granted, you could say, well, the rest of the world has really crummy taste in music, and I might be inclined to agree with you. You listen to music from around the world, world music, it mostly sucks. It just does. It's like, we should all just agree. Okay, we're going to leave music to the United States. All right, can we just leave music to the United States? And maybe maybe Canada and part of the UK. On occasion, France. And if you really reach a, a high level, like there's some good stuff that's come out of South Africa. There's some decent stuff to come out of it. But the most part, we got music. All right? We got music. We'll handle music and food for the rest of the world. But no. Um, <laughs> just I'm, I'm getting in so much trouble. I'm going to go to hell for this. But Lizzo apparently has a net worth of $12 million. $12 million. Let's see. Thanks to her new fashion line, The Limit Does Not Exist, it says. So she's got $12 million and she's well on her way. What year? This is from August, just, uh, just the other day. August, like two weeks ago. So she's got uh, 12 million bucks net worth and she's starting a fashion line or started a fashion line that will net her even more money. Now, if you, if you saw her dressed last night, you'd think no human being should ever dress like her. That's too much skin showing and too much skin to have to show. But she's oppressed, mind you. She's, I don't know what, what occasions call for a feather boa or overweight stripper garb, but if you are in that market, Lizzo's got you covered. Well, she won some award. For, I don't even know what it doesn't even matter what she won the award for. She won some VMA for something or other. It's amazing. They give, they gave out album of the year. Like it's, a, it's a video music awards, and they gave out album of the year. They're giving out all sorts of awards that really have nothing to do with videos. But anyway, she gets up there and she gives her acceptance speech. And she tells people, apparently the fans voted on her award. They try and make, this is how desperate MTV has gotten. They try and find any way to make it as interactive as humanly possible. So if you treat with this hashtag, it's a vote for so-and-so. You do this, that, and the other thing. Go to this website and it's a vote for so-and-so. In other words, please be engaged. Don't flip over to uh, your your PS5 tournament or whatever. Well, Lizzo won one of those. And she goes up there and says, your vote matters, and your vote matters, and uh, about uh, vote people out about our oppression. And listen, listen to this garbage. Keep in mind that this no talent is worth $12 million as of now. It's only going to go up. And uh, she's a victim somehow. She's oppressed. I don't know <laughs> what uh, music video for good means, but I do know what your vote means, and that's a f- lot. Your vote means everything to me. It means everything to making a change in this country. So remember when you're voting for your favorite artist, vote to change some of these laws that are oppressing us. <laughs> the crowd goes wild. It's, I think this was in Brooklyn. So you're de- not dealing with the brightest group of people on the face of the earth. You're dealing with probably MSNBC employees, by and large. They all seem to live in Brooklyn. But vote to change some of these laws that are oppressing. What laws are oppressing you? 
What laws are oppressing you, Lizzo? Last I checked... No, that's going to be rude. Yeah, what the hell? Last I checked, there were no federal laws or even state laws governing the amount of food you can consume. At a buffet. That's in poor taste. I'm not going to go there. But she's worth millions of dollars speaking to other millionaires. And it wasn't just the goon squad built into the stage that were paid to be there and, and be full of energy and applaud this. These were the other multi-millionaires up there. Taylor Swift applauded. Taylor Swift is, is worth a fortune, but it's just not enough because it's oppression. Actually, I wonder how much Taylor Swift is worth now. I'm betting it's close to a billion dollars, if I had to guess. Yeah, it says her net worth is $400 million. But somehow her salary is $150 million per year. Feels like she's been around long enough. Seems like she should be worth a little bit more. I think these numbers might not be as accurate as you say. But whatever the case, she's worth a hell of a lot of money. And she's going to sit there and applaud, oh, vote for the, get rid of the laws that are oppressing us. What I would say the laws that are oppressing you would be the inordinate... Uh, tax rates, the high tax rates, the regulations and everything, just the fortune that is uh, the government taking its cut like it's a mafia don and, you, and it owns a piece of you. That's oppression. The idea of anything else that they say, what, that you have to, what, reach into your pocket and show a driver's license in order to vote? Is that oppression? It's kind of funny because California, Los Angeles in particular, just defeated the Democrats in Los Angeles, defeated an attempt to recall their prosecutor, George Gaston. They didn't beat him at the ballot box. They beat him by disqualifying signatures on a recall petition. They had to turn in something like 569,000 signatures in order to get on the ballot. They turned in 700 and some odd thousand signatures in order to get onto the ballot. Way more than enough. And the liberal Democrats in charge of elections there in Los Angeles, the clerk, they did what? They went through and disqualified something like uh, 30% of the signatures. They got it below the number that they needed. They got it to like 526,000. Only 526,000 signatures were valid. Now, how did they do that? They took the signatures on the petition, cross-referenced it to the signatures on file from the voter rolls and said, these signatures don't match. Over 250,000 signatures don't match. Therefore, they're disqualified. Now, they didn't go through 700 and some odd thousand signatures Individually, they did statistical sampling, which is garbage to begin with. But then they projected outward, which again is garbage to begin with. You could do the way to think of statistical sampling is if you want to. You, there are two ways to figure out. Democrats love statistical sampling, by the way. There are two ways to figure out, uh, when, especially when it comes to the census. There are two ways to figure out the number of people who live in a city. Count them. Or count a section of the city and just extrapolate from there how many people live there. So let's say you have a city with 100 blocks. Let's just say you have a city of a million people and you count a million people. There you go. You've got a million people. 
you know what it is. But the statistical method is, let's say there's a city with 100 blocks and in each you count three blocks and there are 300 people living in total on those three blocks. So then you say 100 blocks, 100 people, 100 blah, 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 100 times 100. There's your population of the city. It saves you a lot of time and money. You don't have to go through and count everybody. You just kind of guess. Well, let's pretend that you counted the three blocks in a neighborhood that's doing quite well, where every house is occupied and uh, people are employed and living the dream. So you've now taken these blocks and ascribed them those characteristics to every block in the city. That's not how it works. There are some blocks where if you're talking about Baltimore, you're talking about Detroit, you have uh, some blocks where there ain't anywhere close to 100 people living on that block. There's maybe five people, unless you count transients shooting heroin in abandoned houses as residents or vacant lots as residents. So you do that statistic sampling and you end up in a situation where nothing is remotely close to reality. That's what Democrats do. And that's how they, that's how they guide everything. That's what they, they find. It goes back to, and I hate quoting myself, but I find myself quoting myself a lot because damn it, every once in a while, I really get it right. If you control the unit of measure, you control everything. If you control the unit of measure, you control everything. So you decide. That's why Democrats want statistical sampling. It's less of an argument now. It used to be more of an argument when when I was, I think it was when I was in college when Detroit and a couple other cities were dropping below the million person mark, right? People had left. Neighborhoods had been destroyed. People were leaving, fleeing the city. And there are certain, not tax advantages, but there's federal monies that cities with a population of more than a million qualify for, that cities with less than a million population qualify for. So that dropping below the million person mark was a big deal, especially when in 1950, it was almost 2 million people. So you have that, that barrier and you get below that. You can see why they said, oh, no, this is horrible because now Detroit's going to get less money which, you know, all the money that Detroit had gotten beforehand hadn't done any good, thanks to the way it was spent, thanks to Democrats. But they then started pushing for statistical sampling, arguing that an actual physical count of people did not accurately reflect the number of people in a city. I don't know how they tried to pull that one, but they did try to pull that one. And they wanted to go to statistical sampling. Well, it's since those cities have continued to hemorrhage people, and now Detroit is, uh, it's well below a million. I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of between six and 700,000 people, which is really bad, really bad and sad because it's a, it's a beautiful city. But um, to have lost more than 50% of your population in 60, 70 years is a testament to failed leadership, which goes back to what I had said before. You feel bad for people. And until you realize that they keep empowering, they keep voting for these people to do it to them. So anyway, back to MTV, the oppression caucus over there. The poor oppression. Oh, they've got it so bad, those MTV crowds, and they're rattling their jewelry, and, 
And uh, I'm sure that uh, Taylor Swift's dresser, her actual physical person who dresses her, who chooses her clothes, I'm pretty sure that she's not making nearly as much money as Taylor Swift is. Is she oppressed? Her job is to dress up. No. Is there anybody in that crowd who was actually oppressed in any way, shape, or form? No. They're not even oppressed by critics anymore because you can't say, wow, that album sucked. Because that, you know, unless you are exactly the same configuration of human being who recorded it, you're not allowed to be critical of anything. You just don't get it. You don't get Lizzo's music. No, I don't get Lizzo's music because Lizzo's music sucks. That's why I don't get it. Uh, You don't get Taylor Swift's music. No, I don't get Taylor Swift's music because Taylor Swift's music sucks. She's got a couple of decent songs, but mostly everything about what she does is now ruined and overridden by her obnoxious foray into politics. So congratulations, Taylor. You're oppressed by the reality of your own obnoxious personality. And Lizzo... I don't know what to tell you. If only I could be as oppressed as you are. That's messed up as all these people. Oh, that's a horrible, horrible, oppressive country. I love my fans. All you're doing is like ripping the humanity out of your fans. All you're doing is is helping hinder the future of your fans. If you actually care about your fans at all, beyond there being a checkbook, you know. But that's it. If you sit there and you tell people and you're in a position of influence that you can't get ahead, forget it. It's never going to work out for you. Don't even bother trying. And they'll still try. It's part of human nature to try. And when they fail, because everybody will fail, there will be setbacks. There will be jobs you don't get. There will be jobs you lose. There will be somebody who gets ahead of you and and they shouldn't have or whatever. And you just go, well, to hell with it. There's no... There's no justice in this world. I can't get ahead. I can't do this. I can't do that. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. And you go, what? how the hell does that work? Well, what does that do? That causes you to then become a part of the system, a cog in the system, a part of the welfare state, saps your humanity. And then you help perpetuate the myth. It is a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then you tell your kids, your friends, your family, whatever, you can't get ahead. Somebody echoes a defeatist attitude and you don't come in with a, no, 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 no. You got to keep trying. If you fall off a bike, you get back up on it. You come in with a, amen. Can I get an amen? You give them an amen. Yeah, God, this country sucks. It's oppressive. It's horrible. Nobody looks like me, thinks like me, has sex like me, whatever, can get ahead. And you begin to create this snowball effect. That's how Democrats end up getting influence because they they give people what sadly so many people want and our society rewards, which is absolution from their own actions and consequences from their own actions. No, it's not your fault. You didn't, you weren't, didn't work hard enough or it wasn't that you didn't work hard enough, whatever. It's somebody had an unfair advantage over you. It's not that you were late. It's not that you were lazy. It's, it's that somebody had an unfair advantage over you, which is absurd because eventually it starts to become true when it wasn't at the beginning. That's where the evil Democrats live. Uh, there is a, this one just cracks me up and disgusts me at the same time. It's not going to be covered nearly as much by the U.S. media, although it might get some coverage, but foreign media will cover it. The Jerusalem Post, the, as everybody knows, the Biden administration is desperate to restore the legacy of the Obama administration. 
That seems to be the only real justification for Joe Biden's presidency is to to reinstall the people who um, the people who are out there trying to uh, reinstate the Obama legacy. And that's, I don't know, it, it, it's sad to watch. You'd think you'd run for president, you have something you'd want to do, but he doesn't. And one of the things, the legacies of the Biden administration, the Obama administration was what? Was the so-called Iran deal. It's a disaster. It put Iran on a pathway to a nuclear weapon and gave them all sorts of protections and assurances and what have you. And the Trump administration rightly came in and said, no, we're we're out of this. Ever since then, the Biden administration has been desperately trying to get it back in there because on a foreign policy st- stage, that was the Obama administration's accomplishment. That was it. That was their big accomplishment. Now, how bad does your administration have to be from a foreign policy perspective that the Iran deal was your accomplishment? But then you look at back and you go, well, they... The other thing they did on the world stage was sit idly by while the uh, Arab Spring, they could have, I don't know, maybe helped overthrow the uh, inspired the people standing up in Iran against the oppressive regime. But the Obama administration didn't want to offend the Iranian regime. So they remained quiet about that, offering no moral or material support to the people standing up against them. Instead, they decided to go after Muammar Gaddafi. And Muammar Gaddafi, bad dude, bad guy, horrible human being, currently roasting on a spit in hell, no doubt. But as far as the threat to the United States goes, Muammar Gaddafi was not one. He wasn't anywhere close to one. Still, they needed to go after somebody. So they pretended to give a damn about Syria for a little while. They pretended to give a damn about Libya. They started bombing Libya, as a matter of fact, under the uh, orders of Hillary Clinton. This was also the Libya thing was supposed to also help Hillary Clinton run for president in 2016. Remember, Joe Biden wasn't going to run. He was too old. He was too upset about his son, blah, blah, blah. He wasn't going to run. So Hillary was. It was setting her up. She had a undistinguished tenure as Secretary of State. She didn't do anything as Secretary of State. The Russian reset button, they couldn't even get the spelling correct on the reset button. But she's over there sucking up to Vladimir Putin. You can't really run on that. How ironic is that now? But you can't really run on that. So she needed something. So under the guise of we need to protect the people of Libya from Muammar Gaddafi, he might use his mil- now these were all speculations he did not things he actually did these were things that he might could have done things that the so-called intelligence community now keep in mind these are the very now you begin to look retroactively at these uh, proclamations by the intelligence community and begin to think maybe these people are wildly political maybe they are incredibly partisan right We used to think that they weren't, but maybe they are now. Maybe we should look back at the decision. They were saying, oh, the intelligence community is saying that Muammar Gaddafi might use his air force to start bombing civilians. 
Libyan civilians who are out there protesting against Muammar Gaddafi. And we can't have that. That would be a slaughter. That would be wrong. Therefore, we must act preemptively. It's weird how they support preemptive action under certain circumstances, these leftists. Not when it's in the national security interest of the United States, mind you, but other people. And so we started bombing the hell out of Libya. We first started, we imposed a no-fly zone and there was nobody flying. Then we started bombing. I thought we were only there to impose a no-fly zone. Well, what if somebody did something bad? We're going to bomb just in case. Bomb just in case. You can't be too safe these days. Ended up overthrowing, aiding in the overthrowing of the Gaddafi government, which morally, in and of itself, I don't have a problem with. Muammar Gaddafi is an evil person. He had killed Americans. He deserved to suffer. The problem is the Biden administration, led by Hillary Clinton in this case, had no plan or idea for what comes next. They had nothing. So you end up in a situation where there is a void and nothing to fill that void and no plan to fill that void. And so what happens? You end up with a failed state where terrorists now have a country where they can operate freely in. There are open-air human trafficking slave markets in Tripoli right now. The Democrats, always the party of slavery, are still the party of slavery and have been responsible for the return of slavery to Libya. Congratulations, Hillary Clinton. Now come up and collect your humanitarian award. Well, that can't be the only foreign policy legacy of the Obama administration. In fact, it's such an embarrassment that the media never really talks about Libya. It's as though it didn't even happen on on Barack Obama's watch. Instead, it was all about the Iran deal. Then Biden or Donald Trump got rid of that and Democrats were wildly upset. So now they're trying to cobble it back together. But the problem is the Iranians don't really want it. The Iranians were, they'd gotten their money, they'd gotten those hundreds of billions of dollars and the pallets of cash Obama sent them. They've been advancing towards a nuclear bomb during the so-called Iran deal, and they're almost there now. They don't need this deal unless they can get something really sweet from the United States. They recognize, they smell the desperation on Joe Biden. They smell it. And so they're going to extract a whole bunch of things for a deal that doesn't really matter, that's well past its prime. It was never going to, it never worked in the first place, it was never going to work again. And you end up in a situation where in talking about this deal that is being negotiated right now, the Jerusalem Post points out amongst this, let this sink in as to what this administration is. Say so completion day would come on day 165 on which all nuclear restrictions and sanctions relief would go into effect. The U.S. would lift the conventional arms embargo on Iran and allow further trade between the countries, and Iran would remove the remaining enrichment infrastructure. You'd have to take Iran's word for it, the verification, but we would begin to lift, we would lift the conventional arms embargo, We would allow Iran more weapons. Now, what do they do with these weapons? They're not going to invade Iraq again. They essentially have a puppet regime in Iraq. They've got control over that. What they would do is use these weapons in furtherance of oppressing their own people. It's a continuation of the Arab Spring failures of the Obama administration. Again, 
Rather than speak up and stand with the people, they threw them under the bus. And now the Biden administration wants to arm the regime in the name of restoring the Obama administration so that the Iranian people remain under the iron boot of their oppressive government. I'm not even joking. I mean, honestly, would you have believed two years ago that the United States would be allowing conventional arms sales to Iran? I wouldn't think so. But uh, that's the world we live in these days. Anything for a legacy. If your legacy requires basically constant CPR to be performed on it, you don't really have much of a legacy to begin with. Um, shift down to Florida for a second. Charlie Crist, who's just um, he's such a sleazy guy. I remember one time I was at a D.C. restaurant. Uh, this was five years ago. or nah, It had to be more than five years ago because so we didn't have kids. And they're with the wife, and uh, we're having a nice dinner. So it was a nice place. It had to have been an occasion. It was a nice place. And sitting next to us was Grant Hill, who was, I recognized him because he was a Piston um, basketball player, former basketball player. And uh, Charlie Crist, the governor of, I think he was, I think he was governor of Florida then, or maybe just ex-governor of Florida. So it had to be maybe 10 years ago. I don't know. It's been a while. But he was just such a slimy guy then. Just sitting there eating next to you, you're like, I don't want him to breathe in my direction. This is before COVID. This is before anything. So now he's the Democrat's choice. And that's a testament to just how far the Democratic Party has fallen, that a guy who was the Republican governor of the state, who ran for the uh, Senate, I believe, as a Republican, as a conservative Republican, I think he lost to Marco Rubio in the primary back in the day, and then uh, became a Democrat. And he ran for the House of Representatives in a district he chose, and he won. And you sit there and you go, Charlie Chris is everything that's wrong with politics. His party affiliation doesn't really matter. That he became a Democrat doesn't matter. He's everything that's wrong with politics in this world. There's people who believe that the world can't exist without them, that the world needs them. The world doesn't need Charlie Crist in politics and power. He needs to be in politics and in power. He loves the the accolades. He loves having people suck up to him. And he likes having a staff that caters to his every whim and desire that he doesn't have to pay for out of his own pocket while not having to worry about you know turning a profit or making sure that things are operating in any kind of way where you're not losing money. He's a government employee. He doesn't give a damn. So now he's running for, he's the Democratic nominee for governor down in Florida. And he chose his running mate, a woman named Carla Hernandez Matz. And she's described, this is how the the situation is described by the Associated Press. Democrat Charlie Crist on Saturday tapped Miami-Dade County Teachers Union President Carla Hernandez Matz as his running mate as he challenges Republican Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. Chris, a congressman who serves as the who served as the state's Republican governor a decade ago, announced United Teachers of Dade President Hernandez Matz as his pick at a rally in Miami. The selection of Hernandez Matz ensures a Chris campaign focus on education, an area where DeSantis has had considerable success in animating his conservative base through his hands-off approach to coronavirus pandemic and policies limiting classroom discussions of race and LGBTQ issues. That's, of course, the Associated Press's framing of it. 
the real accurate way to frame this story and the actions of Governor DeSantis would be to say that he has forced teachers to focus on teaching kids, not get into the politically correct BS. Don't talk to third graders about uh, sex between men or women or whatever. Don't convey how monkeypox is transmitted. And as far as race, it's not don't discuss slavery like the left will tell you. It's don't tell all the white kids you're evil and all the black kids you're victims. You know, maybe focus on teaching them how to read and write. You can't read and write when you graduate most high schools, especially in major urban areas in this country. But boy, how do you ready to know exactly a list of grievances about how you've been historically wronged by people who were never alive while you were over events that didn't happen while even your grandparents were alive. So who is Carla Hernandez Matz? Well, being a union representative in the teachers union, she is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Democratic Party, of course. And you would think that Charlie Crist would be trying to lose. She was on a television show uh, about a year, year and a half ago, talking about an idea that was floated that maybe you give returning veterans, since people are concerned, Democrats pretend to give a damn about veterans, that people are saying they care about veterans, that maybe, just maybe, taking some of their real-world experience and bringing it into the classroom as teachers might be a good idea, that maybe four years of doing something is better than four years of indoctrinating at a university, or at least the equivalent of doing four years at a university and getting a teaching certificate. Maybe doing something is just the same as getting a teaching certificate. The left loves their teaching certificates because they get to control them. They get to control who can become a teacher. They can keep the groomers in and everybody else out. And the idea of bypassing that to a union representative, you would think that this would mean, you know, more union members. But no, her disdain for military personnel marinates through everything she is. And so she says this. Not the way you support them. That's right. This is them deprofessionalizing our careers. Uh, teachers have gone to school for four years. They have their bachelor's, they have master's, they have doctoral degrees. And to think that somebody that has four years of combat experience would do well in our schools um, is actually very disrespectful to our, uh, to our educators, to, to our teachers. Yeah, disrespectful. Having a bunch of veterans around, that would deprofessionalize our profession. It's your Democrat lieutenant governor nominee down there in Florida. Democrats hate the military. They hate normal Americans. They hate anybody who simply will not obey them. They do. You imagine if a Republican said anything close to that? We don't need no stinking military veterans around here. They're just deprofessional. No. All hell would be breaking loose. But she's a Democrat in good standing, and she's a minority, so it's okay. And how do the Democrats respond? How do Democrats live? What do Democrats think? What do Democrats bring to the table? We go to New York, where Governor Kathy Hochul, unelected Governor Kathy Hochul, tells basically Lee Zeldin, any, the guy who's running against her, and anybody else who doesn't like, who doesn't fall in line with, who doesn't obey Democrats, Get on a bus and get the hell out. Go to Florida. Go to Florida. Get out of New York. You don't belong here. And we're here to say that the era of Trump 
and Zeldin and Molinaro just jump on a bus and head down to Florida where you belong, okay? Get out of town. Get out of town. Because you, you don't represent our values. You are not New Yorkers. You are not New Yorkers. We don't serve your kind around here. Yeah, the tolerant left, ladies and gentlemen, the tolerant left. They don't like veterans. They don't like people who don't obey. They don't like you. They hate you, as a matter of fact, and they'll do everything they can to destroy you. And they'll use the power of government to do it and the power of the media to cover up for it. They need to be destroyed, not beaten, destroyed. It's the only way. We like you here. That much is certain. I appreciate you listening. The use of your ears is always much appreciated here. Boy, howdy, what time flew by today. But we'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow. Thank you for listening. I'll see you then.